helping students and healthcare professionals not just survive, but thrive with a purpose. This is the CMDA Student Pulse Podcast with your host, Bill Reichart, National Director of CMDA Campus Ministries. Well, welcome to another episode of CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast. I'm Bill Reichert, National Director for Campus and Community Ministries here at CMDA. And my guest today is Dr. Kara Buskmiller. Kara Buskmiller uh, graduated from Thomas Aquinas College and received her medical degree from Texas A&M, completed her OB-GYN residency at St. Louis uh, University. And uh, her experience in that prompted her to start Conscience in Residency, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in just a minute. But just to give you, just to round out her um, CV a bit, Dr. Busmiller completed maternal fetal medicine at UT Houston and is now the prenatal surgery fellow in Houston, Texas. And she's the director of research at the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. So, Kara, thank you so much for being a part of our conversation today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a great opportunity. Well, we had a great conversation with uh, Dr. Monica Pataki uh, a little while back, and she spoke on her experience with Conscious of Residency. She's a real partner and, and associate with you in this work. I'd like to talk a little bit about that, again, from your experience, but we're going to also go into other questions uh, about this whole process of how do you navigate the gauntlet that comes with these residency interviews, especially with some of these specialties that are uh, a little bit more challenging in terms of uh, conscience issues. So, so I mentioned in your bio, real quick, I said, your residency process going to uh, SLU had some challenges and, and prompted you to consider this ministry, Conscience and Residency. Would you build that out for me a little bit? Yeah, so um, I graduated from medical school in 2015, and I had always planned on becoming an OBGYN and being pro-life and a Christian, um, I was planning on doing OBGYN in accord with my conscience. And at that time, there was still, there was already rising tensions, you know, amidst the profession of OBGYN. And there were many examples from even when I was in med school of people sort of being pushed out, excluded, suggested against going into OB who were pro-life or Christian and had strong beliefs related to that. And who in particular wanted to change the way they practiced from the norm based on their beliefs. So I'm acutely conscious of this. I wanted to, I wanted to interview well. I wanted to articulate my beliefs. I wanted to interview in a way that ensured or as much as possible ensured that I wouldn't be made to violate my conscience later in residency training. And I wanted to do it in a way that represented the faith beautifully and represented the truth articulately and gracefully. And I found very few resources to help me do that. I Mm. spoke with a lot of mentors who had graduated from residency a couple decades prior or maybe one decade prior, who were enthusiastic about the truth, who meanwhile had joined practices which totally allowed their beliefs to flourish. For example, like Catholic-only OBGYN practices or Christian hospitals or or whatever, nonprofits, FQHCs. Mm. Um, And I felt that these people, although well-meaning and wonderful mentors and great examples in the faith, I felt that they didn't understand the boiling pot of of mm. residency interviews at this time in history or at that time in history. Yeah. And and because I thought there was no advice, I spent a long, long time formulating responses to questions and being prepared for questions. And I learned kind of the a little bit, the very a little bit the hard way during my interview season how much to divulge, when to divulge, to whom to divulge, my choices and my beliefs. And I I Overall, now that I've seen probably 50 or 60 um, students go through this process, I had a pretty average to good experience, to be honest. And I Mm. even during my interview season, I felt like, wow, this is going much better than I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt that 
as much as possible, no other student should have to navigate things totally, totally alone the way I did. And so in it, later in 2015, after I had uh, matched to St. Louis University and I started my intern year, I started putting together this uh, nonprofit conscience in residency um, so that people would have a younger person who had more recently gone through the process or who was more familiar with the way that year was going as far as the process of interviewing with one's faith first in place. I wanted someone to have really good real-time resources and coaching to get you through how to say these things and how to explain these decisions. Mm, oh, this is such a valuable resource. And uh, we're going to put the uh, link in the show notes. So you know, we want people to visit the website and be able to reach out to you. And it's not just you doing this. You've got several other coaches. We talked to Monica. There's other people. It's a it's a very much a pay it forward kind of process where people who have gone through this in themselves are able to help those coming behind them. In the short amount of time, you know, you you've done your residency. You've moved on. What is it like these days, today, for a medical student? going through residency interviews? What are some of the challenges they're facing as of today? Well, the, it's worse, um, is the short yeah. answer to that question, yeah. unfortunately. Um, it's the, the, the boiling pot on the stove, to speak, has gotten hotter and hotter. And the, mostly the reason for that is the transgender issue. I want to make sure that our listeners know that conscience and residency does not articulate any specific positions that we believe someone ought to have. We just help you in whatever choices you wish to make, mm. articulate those to people who, who may sharply disagree with you. And it, it helps you kind of make a work plan for your residency where, you know, program directors and your co-residents may not have any idea of how to make sure you don't have to do work that will violate your conscience. So even though conscience and residency has no particular choices, I made choices about not wanting to do um, transgender prescriptions for cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers and not wanting to participate in surgery that would um, move towards a um, surgical transition. So that was relatively easy for me to navigate because there was not a lot of that going on in 2015. Mm. You know, there were a few right. select centers in this country. Now, especially medical transition and especially in pediatrics residencies has jumped off the charts, way off the charts. For mm -hmm. myself, REI rotations, in for, like um, the endocrinology aspect and the pediatric adolescent guide, was mostly contraception and infertility. And now a lot of that is, is transgender medicine. So actually we're seeing a huge uptick in the number of peds applicants and psych applicants that speak mm -hmm. to us. In the mm -hmm. recent past, when we started Conscience and Residency, it was 90% OBGYN applicants and 10% mm -hmm. family medicine applicants and, and a very small, maybe 1% internal med, one person. And now it's, it's relatively, um, maybe a third, a third, a third, a little, uh, still a little bit overrepresented OBGYN, but it's a lot of pediatrics and psych. And we just have to help them navigate again, just the way their OB colleagues have been doing mm -hmm. gracefully explain how they personally wish to avoid doing things, although they will continue to be a functional resident and a good doctor. Yeah, it used to be if you were going in certain specialties, uh, especially around the life issue abortion, that this was a concern. But with the transgender issue, it's really encapsulating so many specialties, ones that Correct. one might yeah. even not even think are on the table, but it really has. It, everybody is going to be impacted in this. So with that in mind, let's talk about some practical tips, some advice, some things, you know, you would coach as somebody would call conscience and residency, you'd strike up a conversation, you'd, you'd begin to have that interaction. What would you say to a student as they're preparing? What would you advise them to, how would you advise them to prepare for their residency interviews? 
So if you um, reach out to Conscience and Residency for Coaching, first of all, it's completely free. Mm. Um, and we remain a resource to you throughout the rest of your professional development. So you can reach out to us uh, during the interview season or beforehand to figure out how many programs or which programs to apply to. And then we remain a resource to you throughout residency. And we hope that you kind of, again, pay it forward, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and either send people to us or, or help us with coaching. Um, because our philosophy is kind of we want to replace the ranks with people who have more up-to-date knowledge about the interview season and that dynamic. But if you reach out to Conscience and Residency to receive coaching, typically we do that over the phone because there's so much nuance um, that has to go into those conversations. Mm -hmm. And as much as you are comfortable, you can share with us kind of where are you academically? How competitive are you as an applicant? Mm -hmm. Because how many poker chips you have to play with really mm -hmm. um, makes a difference as far as what you can negotiate and how much power you have to say, well, I would like my to look like this mm. instead of you know if you are really you know you struggled academically or you're gonna have a hard time we might suggest different places for you so that your conscience will be safe because mm. fundamentally that is the most important aspect because that's what we will be asked at uh, on the day of judgment not about you know did we go to Harvard Yale or get this or that accomplishment mm. so we kind of um, if you're comfortable sharing that with your coach you can mm. um, you do not have to share step scores for example I don't think we work on that kind of point-to-point -point basis mm. but we will make Make suggestions about how if you're a strong academic candidate saying a, 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 a net that's perhaps more ambitious might be realistic if you're not if you feel you're not as competitive a candidate for your chosen specialty right and that's a, a nuanced thing as well different specialties have different certain cutoffs and things like that then you may want to focus more on smaller community-based programs once we have that kind of conversation and, a, and an understanding of what you want for your future and where you want your future what region of the country for example then we start to talk about what are your choices going to be in, in accord with your beliefs and your understanding of the way that you know the human body works mm. what are you choosing to do and not do and again we do this in a very open way we want to help you defend your conscience we are not in it to try and convince you of doing extra things or doing less things or whatever right. and then we try to help you formulate a way to understand and articulate this in interviews for example a few core things that we talk about with everyone excuse mm. me is to approach an interview with many reasons why you want to go to that program. For example, if you're going to a Christian hospital or a Catholic hospital, you don't want to go right into the interview and they ask you, well, why are you here at St. Elsewhere? And you say, well, I want to protect my conscience. I'm here because I just don't want to do anything that violates my conscience. It's a great reason, but it's not probably at the top of what they want to hear, right? Mm. They want to hear, well, I'm here for your FQHC. I really want to work in that in the future. I'm here for your patient population. I'm here because this is a great area for families. I'm here because you have a great robotics surgery program. I'm here mm. because X, Y, Z. Mm. You want to make sure that if they are thinking of adding you to their intern class, they want interns that are really enthused to be there for the whole program that they've mm. built. You also want to come into the interview um, with an attitude of humility, right? You are, in this example of who we're coaching, you're a fourth-year med student, and the residency turns you from a med student into an attending, which is a, an enormous metamorphosis. And you, as the student, don't want to come in and say, I know what's best for women's health care. I know what's best for people with gender dysphoria. Because in truth, your church might, your faith might, your mind might, but your, your soul doesn't, your emotions don't, your empathy doesn't, you don't have experience with that unless you're, you know, in a special category. Um, mm. Most of us typically don't walk into residency with a lot of experience. So having an attitude of humility really helps. And having mm. an attitude of humility doesn't mean you say, well, I don't know, I mean, my faith might be wrong, but I really want to try this. Mm. It doesn't mean that you promise that you're going to convert or that you believe your beliefs are fallible. 
it just means I don't know everything about this topic, but I'm, I'm not quite comfortable yet with doing this type of therapy. I'd like to observe and learn. And, and in that observation, I don't want to dump work on other residents, but I'm interested in a program that will walk with me from where I'm at. That's, that's a statement that is very humble. Mm. It doesn't assert more than you can as a med student. And yet it says to the program, look, I'm, I'm not going to walk in on day one and be prescribing cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers. I want mm. you to know before I match who I am. So I'm not baiting and switching you. Mm. That's another thing we really encourage people to avoid at conscience and residency. As I said, you remain free as someone who gets coaching to do absolutely whatever you like. And we've had, had a couple people who, who just choose not to disclose what they are, who they are, what they're choosing. And those people I think have a, a good reasoning for that decision. They're like, I'm so much more than the things I'm saying no to. And that's true. You are a whole, you made it through med school, you made it into med school, you are a full rounded person, you have a faith, you have a life, you have a family, you're so much more than the things you're saying no to. And it's important that you represent all the beauty that you are in addition to the things that you choose not to do. At Conscience and Residency, we believe the things you choose not to do are actually part of that beauty and part of that fullness, although most people don't see it that way. So even though some of the applicants we've coached have chosen not to disclose before match, we we stress that that's probably not the right thing to do because mm. it might start you off on match day calling your program director saying, by the way, I have this or that, or four months into residency when you're about to see a patient mm-hmm. getting you into some hot water. And that has happened. That happened recently. We had someone who didn't disclose and we were helping them kind of walk themselves out of it. Mm. It's possible, but I think it, it starts things off sometimes with bitterness mm. and difficulty. So to answer your question, some things that we speak with everyone about is know who you are and how much kind of negotiating power you have, mm-hmm. um, have an attitude of humility, and always come into the program wanting the whole program, not just wanting to put armor around your conscience. Oh, that's that's good advice. And I can just imagine how how many students will benefit from this kind of discussion to, ha- to have someone like yourself who, again has the experience, who's gone through it, who can speak with that kind of authority, has that platform. I know you offer, uh, you have a list of some schools too, that programs, I should say, that, that are, are friendly and, and people can be aware of. I know uh, CMDA does as well. I think a- APLOG does. I think a bunch of, uh, of our organizations do help point uh, students to those programs. What about the flip side? Uh, you mentioned this isn't just the you know the interview season that you're a part of a resident's life it can go into their and through their residency what do you say to students that face this dilemma they were given certain assurances maybe something has changed on the ground whatever the circumstances and now they're in a situation where now they're being pressed upon to do something that they thought they made quite clear was not going to be within the purview of what they wanted to engage with. And so, yeah, speak to that issue a little bit, Kara. How, how do you coach through that? I Unfortunately, we have had that happen, um, not on as huge a scale as I think uh, students fear. Okay. Um, but uh, we have had this happen on smaller scales and in nuances that the program director didn't anticipate would be a problem. So mm. I think the first thing to think of, the first thing to encourage the student to do is to calm down as much as possible. This is extremely important and their fears and their worry and their anxiety are all appropriate because, you know, as I keep pointing out, your conscience is one of the most important things that you should keep your integrity, you know, throughout uh, your, your medical training. However, the most important thing to remember is that, you know, hopefully if you're, you know, part of CMDA and you're part of you're being helped by conscience and residency, you are aided by the fullness of the truth, who is not just a, a list of doctrines. He's a person. He loves you. He's all powerful. 
So the first thing to remember is that you are not alone. You mm. have him. And then you also have people who have been through this before. Mm. The second thing to remember is that very likely this is a communication problem. This is mm. just a mistake. Mm. It is not a malicious thing. It is sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm. Sometimes it is uh, very much trying to get the applicant or the resident to do something they don't want to do. But that too, we have ways of speaking around that. So the most important thing is that you meet with your program director and you not be alone. You have to have an advocate, an ombudsman, and some, someone with you mm. because you cannot witness these conversations alone as they sometimes become extremely important. I don't say that to get your tinfoil hats out. I just say that for prudence sake. The next thing to speak about is you want to understand that as a resident, there are a lot of incentives for your program to keep you. Mm. And I'm speaking mostly about financial incentives. Mm. So they are incentivized by CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare. They are paid by them for you and they keep some of those funds. Mm. If they lose you, they lose that. And until they replace you, they don't get that. Mm. So there are some incentives for them to keep you. Remember, that's kind of the poker chips in your corner so that you're not completely defenseless. You should not feel as though you have to comply. Otherwise, you're going to be fired. Mm. You are in a vulnerable position as a resident because that is sort of the job you need to become board certified. And it's very tough and very tricky and sometimes mm. very you could be uprooted if you have to go find another position. Mm. But 90 percent of the time, you do not have to do that. You should have a conversation with your program director and say, I'm sorry we didn't get to this. I didn't think that we would have to address this separately, but I want to go forward without doing X, Y, Z. And here's the reason why. And just like we talked about at the beginning of my residency or during my interviews that I, I want to be a good resident. I want to learn. I don't want to dump work on other people. I want to find a solution that will work for all of us if I'm choosing this. Mm. I think always having an attitude of a good resident who, who wants to be a team player mm. um, helps in these conversations. Being very self-aware, right? Not being ashamed of your beliefs, but being aware that actually our belie all of our beliefs, mine, probably people listening, they do cause some inconvenience in the machine that is the residency. Um, so being self-aware about that, and again, not being ashamed, but being factual about it really is helpful. And then finally, always being ready to learn and be held accountable for the things the residency wants to teach you. So if they want to teach you the American College of OBGYN's guidelines on second trimester termination of pregnancy, you learn that stuff. And I think it's important for people, especially Christians who might have a natural repugnance toward that kind of thing, to overcome our repugnance. Repugnance is not a sin. Repugnance doesn't mean we are personally sinning. It's just, mm -hmm. it's a barometer to help us avoid sin, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes that barometer gives you kind of false positives and you say, okay, I, I hate this, but I'm going to do this because this is how God is making me a pro-life Christian doctor or, a, you know, insert however you want to mm -hmm. practice doctor. And so you overcome that repugnance, you study what you ought to do. And then I encourage people, again, every person has his or her conscience, but I encourage people that you are able to counsel completely on things, even if they are against your beliefs, even if you believe they're objectively sinful. And the reason why I tell people that you can counsel completely is not because I want you to be an accessory to evil. I don't want you to cooperate in evil. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually a whole nuanced conversation about cooperation evil that we have. But it's because your counseling is actually better than anyone else's, right? You alone, the Christian resident alone, or the person who believes that X, Y, Z, insert whatever is wrong, mm -hmm. they will counsel completely about that, right? They will describe what abortion is. They will describe what transgender hormones do. They will tell you about the risks and about the permanence of those hormones, for example. Whereas other people might say, 
looks like you need this. This is what our guidelines are recommending. This is how the dose starts. This is how we monitor. And they'll give very important information. But they won't counsel completely on risks and benefits. And so that's mm-hmm. why I encourage the Catholics to counsel on tubal ligation. I encourage the Catholics to counsel on contraception. I encourage every Christian to counsel on abortion. And counsel not to the extent where you're running behind in clinic, but counsel completely. And encourage your residency that you're not going to make everyone else talk to the people who want birth control or termination of pregnancy or transgender hormones. I think that goes a long way to helping people understand, okay, this resident isn't bigoted. They're not trying to get in the way. They are just trying to not do something themselves, but they won't get in the way of other people making their free choices. Mm -hmm. And again, that's not because we believe those choices are good, but it's because as a resident, your power to cause changes in those choices, is extremely limited. Hmm. Great counsel, good coaching. Um, So, you said the those of you that are in this coaching role who are paying it forward is you know there's a there's a a shelf life to that time. Uh, you want people who have had uh, a recent history going through the residency. Suffice it to say, you you, you by def- by default you won't be doing this forever. Uh, you'll want other residents to come along behind you who are going to take the mantle. So that begs the question, Kara. What's your uh, pipeline for getting or, or opportunity to have more coaches join you? I, and I say that to say that uh, as this becomes more known, as, as I'm imagining students hearing our conversation, you're going to get a lot of calls. <laughs> so do you have enough coaching? Is, uh, coaches, I should say. Uh, what would it take for a resident perhaps listening to this conversation, because they do, to become involved in Conscience and Residency? First of all, we would be super grateful if this conversation leads to more coaches. Um, We always have fewer coaches than we'd like Mm. um, because my goal, you know, the coaches are often residents, young attendings and fellows whose lives are still very busy. They've got little kids running around. They still are making a low salary. They are crazy busy in the first year of being an attending, et cetera. So the more coaches we have, the less the burden on each individual coach. Mm. Um, We do not compensate our coaches at this time. So um, that may be something we investigate in the future. That's a possibility, but right now um, this is a purely pay it forward, purely for the sake of a mission. If you do want to become a coach, you simply email conscienceinresidency at gmail.com, and that's conscience spelled out. It's C O N science. It's a very hard mm. word to spell. <laughs> in residency at gmail.com, and you say, I'd like to be a coach. We are looking for people, especially in pediatrics, family medicine, internal medicine, and uh, psychiatry, who have experience getting through residency without being made to do things. You mm. don't have to be any particular flavor of Christian to be a coach. You do have to be able to sometimes pocket your own choices and focus on the student. This is about the student or about the, the resident who's receiving coaching. It's not about you. And this it's it's sometimes tricky for people to do that because, you know, if you're joining conscience and residency as a coach, you probably have pretty strong beliefs. Mm. But we ask you to simply pray for the student or resident if you find that, you know, you think they're in moral trouble with their own choices and simply help them make their own choices. It it helps enough to sanctify the con- the concept of conscience. It helps the student to protect their conscience. That helps them make good choices about their conscience in the future. So that would be my plea if anyone mm-hmm. is listening who is eligible to be a coach. You're eligible for coaching as on the interview trail as soon as you're done with the interview trail. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you are sometimes the most valuable coach because you are Oh, I went to this place. They were terrible. I went to this place. They were great. I should have gone to this place. I, others on the interview trail said it was great. 
So mm. you are actually the most valuable coach. You're not less valuable because you're an intern. You're mm. great. So please sign up. Typically, we have people coach no more than once a month. Typically, mm. it's much less than that. So this is not going to be something you're spending every weekend doing. However, if um, a request comes in for coaching, often you'll spend a couple hours with that person on the phone, mm. typically just most people have one conversation, then they might reach out by email to clarify a couple things. So it's not a, a super burdensome responsibility. Mm. Um, again, it's not compensated, but it's it adds so much value. And and by doing this, we can really build up the network that already exists within CMDA and Applog, but knit the young people in these networks really close together and mm. build a profession that cares about doing what's right. All right. Well, Again, I hope you get a lot of responses on the coaching side, on the student side. Uh, I just think this is such a valuable ministry, especially in the, the times that we face. We need the community of believers, of people of faith, to support one another, to help one another along. And uh, we just can't go this journey alone. And uh, right. it's just um, it's too challenging. And so I, I'm just grateful for you, Kara, and Monica, and others who are involved in what you're doing, and uh, that you're continuing to push forward and press in on this opportunity. As we kind of put this conversation to a close a bit, is there anything you, that was left unsaid? Anything you'd like to uh, speak to, uh, maybe to the students direct, or you know, anything you'd like to say as we wrap up our conversation? I think if um, if your listeners have a chance, you know, they might have listened to this whole thing and said, well, that would have been useful when I was a whatever, or or maybe that'll be useful to me in like five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. Don't forget about us. Tell your parents, tell your church, tell whoever, because the more people who know about the name, the more people who can say to their you know, niece who's in med school or whatever. Hey, I heard about X, Y, Z and, and your small ability just to spread the name. I'm not asking for donations. I'm just asking for us to be a little bit better known because I think, unfortunately, sometimes we reach people after it would have been helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, this whole conversation has got me thinking about another different level, which is outside the scope of your ministry, but I'm thinking about uh, these undergraduate students. Also the challenges yes. they're facing in the, uh, you know, the medical school interviews that they're going to embark That's on. That's right. And we're hearing stories about that, too, being very challenging. In Absolutely. Its own way. So, you know, maybe we just need to have a conversation as to what, uh, uh, you know, offline as to the kinds of tools and ways we can help and resource these students because their their challenges are uh, are similar yet uniquely different in, in what they're facing as well. So. Yeah. I think for the med students, my advice is generally you don't have a therapeutic obligation to patients yet. Mm. So just observe as much as if you have something against your conscience, ask to observe. You literally cannot get in trouble. If you're penalized by that, they're actually breaking a rule. So mm. we can have a longer conversation about that. But for the med students, you try to remain basically as much in secret as is prudent. Um, and that's hard because none of us want to keep our faith a secret. But it's uh, it's becoming like that. If you If God has in his will, you are meant to become a Christian physician who overcomes the lies that our culture is enmeshed in. One of the only ways to do that nowadays is to remain in secret for part of it. And that's, it sh should be ridiculous to say that, but it's true. And so we, we imitate some of the early saints who for the sake of their families didn't submit to the lions, for example. Some did, but some chose not to for other, for other good reasons. And that may be your path into and through med school so that God can achieve his good for you. Well, thank you so much, Kara, uh, again, for this conversation, for your work, your ministry. And um, again, we're going to we're going to put all that information on the Web, uh, part of the show notes so people will know how to contact you and get in touch with you as well. 
And uh, again, I just want to thank you for being part of uh, our CMDA Student Pulse podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is the part of the podcast where we tell you some things that you need to know. The first is the Remedy Missions Conference. If you're thinking about missions, want to learn more about missions, how you can do it, either walking across the street in your community or around the world, this conference is for you. We have two opportunities to attend. We have a West Coast Conference and an East Coast. The West Coast Conference is at Cal Baptist University, February 24th to the 25th. And the East Coast Conference is April 14th to the 15th at Liberty University. To get more information and how to register, go to remedy.cmda.org. And then I just want to remind you that our CMDA National Convention is coming up April 27th to the 30th in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is a fantastic opportunity to meet other Christian healthcare professionals. And we don't want you as a student to miss out on this opportunity. So we've got some special deals for you. Scholarship money that will cover your registration as well as parts of your housing and travel expenses. But to find out how to do that, how to get access to that scholarship money and to apply, you'll need to go to this website, cmdastudentlife.org slash NACON. And we'll make sure to put these links in our show notes as well. And then lastly, don't forget to download the CMDA Student Life app. On it is a host of resources, small groups, Bible studies, this podcast, and just so many tools and resources that are, that are important for you, your faith, and for your work with CMDA. So make sure you go on the App Store or the Google Play Store and simply search for CMDA Student Life and download the app. And as always, you can find us on our social media sites using the handle CMDA Student Life. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Well, as always, we're just so thankful that you joined us for this episode of CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast is a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the organization. CMDA is non-partisan and does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on Student Pulse podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members.